0: Welcome, today I'm thrilled to introduce Kira McCulloch, a renowned mental performance coach. Her journey is not just a narrative of overcoming challenges, but a profound testament to the power of a positive mindset, which she eloquently shared on her prestigious TEDx stage. From a young age, Kira faced significant personal struggles, forging a path of resilience and determination that lies at the heart of her inspiring story. Her battle with mental health challenges and her transformative journey are emblematic of the incredible potential within each of us to reshape our lives. Kira brings a wealth of expertise as a mental health and well-being coach, NLP practitioner and behaviour change specialist. Her collaborations with leading Irish mental health organizations include the Mental Health and Wellbeing Summit, Cycle Against Suicide, and Sea Change have allowed her to share her unique insights and experiences with a broader audience. Her approach transcends traditional coaching methods, focusing on empowering individuals to challenge their internal critic and build resilience and self-belief. As a motivational speaker and TEDx alumni, Kira's impactful delivery leaves audiences not just inspired, but equipped with tangible tools to rewrite their life's narratives. Today, Kira joins us to share her journey and insights, proving that she's more than a coach. She's a catalyst for change. Her authenticity, vulnerability, and compelling realness make her an exceptional guide for anyone looking to transform their mental performance and achieve their highest potential. Get ready to be inspired as Kira takes us through her incredible journey from the edge of despair to the TEDx spotlight, showcasing the unbreakable spirit that defines her. Kira, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you here.
1: Luke, it is a pleasure to be here, so thank you for having me on.
0: I've been eagerly anticipating this conversation for quite some time, and I truly believe our audience is in for a real treat today. I was thinking to set the best foundation and provide context for our discussion. Would you like to start by sharing your TEDx talk experience? Or perhaps we should begin with what led up to that moment?
1: So, two years ago, delivered a TEDx talk, and I've been thinking there since we were speaking there the last couple of minutes, I was like, where do I start with this? Where will I go with that question and how to answer it? So I'm going to go back back to the root of, I suppose, where we, how the te- TEDx came about for me. Um, because when I delivered the TEDx, it was very much around um, my story. And I was always very much wanting to utilize my story to create an impact for others. And I suppose when I seen your podcast come up in terms of Unbreakable, I was like, I have a story to share here. Um, and, and then that like, encompasses kind of like the TEDx story as well. Um, so I'll go back to the root and kind of like, in order for me to explain the component of the TEDx, I'm going to explain my journey up to the TEDx, if that suits. Um, my journey to getting to deliver a TEDx talk <laughs> wasn't an easy journey and it's not the journey that people might think. So for me, I came to the TEDx very much with a story to share around how you can actually change your life at one decision. Like one decision can absolutely change your life. And all you need in that decision is this moment of courage to decide to do something different. And in that, I suppose that was the theme of what I spoke about on the TEDx stage. Um, So I spoke about my story. So my story begins, obviously, um, with adversity in terms of, for as long as I can remember, I would have absolutely struggled with a really loud, consuming inner critic. I would have struggled deeply with feelings of not being good enough, feeling completely worthless, um, feeling like I didn't have any value. And it got to a point and it kind of came to a head where I completely felt that I was absolutely broken. Like this is just who I was. It was the very finite story that I had for my life is this is just who I am. I'll always be broken. And it's always going to impact my life in such a negative way. Um, the underpinning of everything that I was experiencing was was that, was that kind of phrase of you're not good enough. So it followed me around everywhere. Um, As long as I can remember, like when I reflect back to like, even like being really young, it was, it was always there. I was always comparing myself to like people in school and how smart they were and how smart I wasn't and how tall they were, how tall I wasn't, still not tall, five foot two. (laughs) I'm probably five foot one and I claim I'm five foot two just to give myself the extra inch. Um, But then. It kind of followed through, but as as it followed through my life in terms of pattern, it got stronger and stronger and stronger because I suppose, quote unquote, the evidence became far, far greater to the point where I just believed that I just actually genuinely wasn't good enough. So between the ages of 19 and 22, I had three attempts to end my life. So, gonna kind of give a synopsis version of that in terms of in that period of time, that belief of this is just how I always am or always will be, things will never change. Um, I got to a point where at the age of 22, even though I had tried two times before that, at the age of 22, I was like, like I, I have enough of not feeling enough. Like, I genuinely cannot do this anymore um, because the, the, what I had been carrying was just so heavy. Um, and in that moment, I realized the decision was like, I, I need not to be here anymore. Um, and I tried to make that a reality until I woke up and not in the way that the euphoric I woke up in, and I didn't do it. I actually did try. And I woke up in a hospital bed and the very first thought I had Luke was, why do I have to be here? Why didn't it work? But that why didn't I have to be here was very much soaked in judgment and criticism of, see, you couldn't even do that good enough again. Um, and then all of a shot just for a second, as I opened my eyes, the to the left hand side was my mother. And I just had barely opened my eyes. So I kind of wanted to pretend that I was still asleep, but I was also looking at her and I could see this just ultimate devastation on her face. And while I saw devastation, I equally, in equal measure, saw relief. <laughs> and I just sat there for a moment with my eyes closed and was like, you've done this to her in terms of the devastation. Like you were, you were doing this to her and you've done this to her. And the second thing that popped into my head was this wasn't a new reality for us um, in our family. So my, my dad had died um, by suicide when I was one. So at the time, so I was what? That was 20 years ago before that. So I was like, you are doing this again. Like you are putting her through the same trauma again. And in that moment, I said to myself, and I don't even know where these thoughts came from, but it was like, I was just having this new type of conversation with myself. All in my head was keeping my eyes closed, trying to still be asleep. Um, it was like, you've got two fucking choices here. You can keep going the way that you're going, not talking, not opening up, not asking for help, not saying how you really feel, not being very honest, not like just saying things that you think people want you to hear and doing what you think people want you to do, or you could do the opposite of that. And the most profound thing that happened in that moment was in that moment, at what I would call my lowest moment where I was just like, I wish I wasn't here. Something flipped, something changed. Because in that moment, I realized for the very first time in my life that I had a choice. You could either do one or the other. So you can let this kill you, or you can try the opposite of what you're doing right now. And I then asked myself the question of, shit, why am I here? Same question, different tone in which I uh, asked the question to myself, "Why, why am I here? Like, why did I survive? And internally in that moment it was like this like a flick of a light switch um call it a eureka moment call it light bulb moment whatever you want to call it it was that moment that changed the entire game for me in my life and for me it was that moment of I actually get to choose my next step um I get to talk I get to open up I get to ask for help I get to share how I'm really feeling and that was a promise that I made to myself (laughs) from then on um I'm turning 33 in March so like I'm 10 years as a work in progress since but I think for me um that was the moment that I realized that I was very much in a hole and while I felt that there was no way out of that hole I actually realized in that moment there was and I was the one that was going to get me out of that hole for no nobody else could I I was the only person that I could so in that moment I was like I am just going to commit and go all into just seeing what the opposite of this looks like because if if what I was currently doing was giving me the life that I had well clearly if I did the opposite that I was going to have the opposite life now soaked in those these 10 years have been this um a lot of work, like inner work where you're like understanding yourself more, where you're starting to like understand why you do the way you do things you do, why you think the way you think, why you feel, the way you feel. Um, what lenses are you looking at life through? Um, and it's been like a, I won't say a picking apart, but a, a picking apart to understand all of those components of me. Um, so the journey to the TEDx was very much... As I was going through that journey, I realized like very quickly, I think by the age of like 25 or 26, that I was like, there are other people that are experiencing what I have experienced. And while I'm still a work in progress, like, what would it be like to actually share my story? I just felt this like compelling sense come over to be like, like my story potentially has power and I decided to share it. So I remember one day just sitting down on Facebook and typing it out. (laughs) And at the time I'd been working in my mom's coffee shop and um, I basically pressed it. This is my story. This is what I've been going through. And this is what I'm working on and just press send, turn my phone off and (laughs) looked at it like 24 hours later. And there was this whole stream of comments that came in and that's not why I did it. But what I learned from that is everybody that either said something to me, either in person or on online was I've known you for years and I would have never known which opened my eyes to also getting conversations with people of I'm experiencing the exact same thing. So thank you for highlighting that. Um, And that was a case of, I would have never known it about them either. And that's been my fuel, my, my rocket fuel to continue to, to be part of that change where actually I can bring awareness to, as much as I am a work in progress, I can also bring attention and awareness to we have no idea what many what people might be facing. We have no idea what decisions they might be about to be making. So how can we collectively come together and share vulnerably our experiences? And as a result of that, then, like, can we collectively come together then to actually heal so that we don't have to do it on our own? Um, so the journey to the TED Talk was kind of like a natural, like unfolding of me learning about my story, but also utilizing my story to share it. And then... As the more that I was speaking, um, as part of different like charity organizations and, and, and different like events. And as just search, I just, wherever I could possibly share my story, that's just what I did, which led into then was like, um this Ted talk opportunity became something that I was starting to think about. So I applied a couple of times and, and kind of like, Oh, it's not the right fit. And, and then I learned how to structure, um, my story to suit the Ted. Um, there's like a format for Ted. So like sat with a guy, he's like, okay, this is the format. This is what you do. And straight away got picked. So I was like, ah, so the opportunity to be able to share my story with tens of thousands, sometimes millions of followers, um, uh, was an incredible opportunity. That being said, it's like the work that I'm in now allows me to take that to a whole new new level. So like um, for me, it's like helping people with their mental performance as well is is a massive thing. Yeah. So there you are. There's loads of information. (laughs) Big journey.
0: Yeah. Huge, um, huge journey. And um, whilst kudos isn't the right word, um, probably just a thank you for being so vulnerable, one to go through the journey that you had then articulate it for, for the wider audience and um, a couple of things you mentioned throughout that that really resonated and, and I wanted, wanted to dive in a little deeper if I may is you mentioned that inner critic um, and I'm assuming that was also compounded by um, almost a, an incredible pattern of thoughts uh, I think we're all just addicted to thoughts and we just can't get them out of our mind and um, Were you able to, at any stage, maybe in the recovery, if those are the terms you would use, really understand where that inner critic was born out of and how it manifested? Um, And then what tools or what disciplines or what strategy did you incorporate to start kind of, uh, you know, decompartmentalizing um, and and effectively getting over this critic?
1: I love that question. (laughs) So strap in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay so I guess when I if someone was to come and tell me this when I was in the height of being consumed by my inner critic first and foremost I wouldn't have believed them and then secondly I probably would have wanted to punch them in the face because like how dare you if only you knew what I was going through Um, but I am now going to be that person because I believe not only have I lived through the experience of it, then it's kind of like I also know the like the science behind it, right? Um, in everything that i've I've learned, what brought me to kind of like my journey after I'd done a lot of like inner work like therapy and counseling and um I found, just learning about the mind so fascinating like absolutely everything about the mind has just been such a fascination and a passion of mine and one thing we need to understand about how our mind works so I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent but I'll I'll come back around everything about how our mind works our mind and our brain is built to protect us so the job that our brain has and our mind has is to actually keep us safe Okay. Um, what we have as a safety mechanism is a thing called negativity bias, which means that our brains are actually hardwired and primed at a default setting to look for and hold on to the negative. Okay. So when I say this to clients, I follow it up with a caveat of negativity, isn't your fault. It's all of our default. So at a most primal, like hardwiring default setting, negativity is where we're going. What we're going to look for, it's what we're going to hold on to. So, negativity bias in action would be if ten people pay you a compliment, and one person comes and says, mm, "Not really sure. Which one do you remember?" You're going to remember the person who comes and says, mm, "I'm not really sure." Why is that the case? Why are we like that? We'll ruminate on that, and that's where all that kind of like inner critic comes from. Maybe I'm not good enough. Oh, what did I mean? Those thoughts that we have are coming from negativity bias to try and actually protect us. So if you can imagine an inner critic, like actually our inner protector, and that was the reframe where I started to not see it as something that I needed to avoid. I saw it as something that I now needed to embrace. So that was the first kind of change and really starting to um, change up my relationship with my inner critic and and really heal from it. Um, It's not about trying to get rid of it. It's actually about trying to learn how to utilize it and learn how to um, embrace what it's trying to tell us. I will say this to you, Luke, my inner critic was the loudest and will always be the loudest when I am not being kind to myself, when I'm not giving myself what I need and when I'm not supporting myself in the best possible way. My inner critic will always be loudest when I'm about to do something that's scary. And that could be a good thing. (laughs) um and the metaphor that i use for an inner critic right is i don't know if anybody that's listening or even yourself has done like a skydive or like a bungee jump yeah skydive what did you have you done skydive
0: i did some some jumps when i was in the military yes gotcha, <laughs>
1: yeah yeah um so a force skydive uh, not a fun one i've, I've done a fun one <laughs> so you can imagine you're thousand feet in the air you're strapped to somebody that you've just met like three minutes ago and now you have to try and trust them in order to jump ten thousand feet out of a plane to hopefully land and just as you're there and the the plane that you go up on is like like not the planes that we imagine they're the small ones that have yeah and it's barely like hanging on and you're up in the air and just as you're hanging over basically ready to jump your mind gets flooded with these thoughts what if the parachute fails? What if this guy doesn't know what he's doing? What if it's his first day? What if when he said it was his first day, it's actually his first day and he has a clue what he's doing? Um, what if you can't land properly? What if you break your legs? What if this all goes wrong? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? The goal of all those thoughts is to actually get me to try and get back into the plane and not jump at all. So the goal of all of those thoughts, the what ifs, the inner critic, like what if you're not able to do this? What if you're not able to do whatever? The goal of that is to keep me safe. And the safest thing that I can possibly do in that moment when I'm just about to jump is to come back and not jump at all. To, to just stay where I am in that plane and hopefully land with the plane. But then the guy behind you is like, right, we're going. Bam. And you're out and you've jumped and you're like, fuck. Right. Um, and then you realize just for a second there, and you're like basically like floating and it's the best experience you've ever had in your life. And you're like, why was I so worried? That's, that's, that's our inner critic in motion. Every time we go to do something that's unknown, uncomfortable, scary, challenging, that has the potential to potentially like harm us in some way, whether that's rejection, whether it's fear, whether it's judgment or like genuinely harm us, our inner critic is gonna come up and be like, are you sure you're capable? Are you sure this is gonna be okay? What if you fail? What if this doesn't happen? What if that doesn't happen? Um, what if you do all this and you still get this result? It's that overprotective like friend that wants to keep us super safe and wants us to never jump. But the thing is, a lot of us will do two things. The first thing we'll do is, like I did, try to resist it, try to push those thoughts away and try to avoid those thoughts. And what we resist persists. So effectively, like the first step in me, like embracing my inner critic was to actually start to embrace it to us, to, to accept it, to sit with it for a sec, um, to write down all of the thoughts. So get them out of my head and onto a piece of paper. And then the second thing that we try to do then is like, (laughs) it's always in that avoidance. It's like, we lean into it. We believe what the inner critic is saying. So it's asking us questions like, are you sure you're able, are you sure everything's going to be okay? Really what our inner critic is looking for is you to be certain in what you're about to do. And if you lean into what your inner critic is saying as, as in, oh shit, maybe I'm not certain, maybe I'm not capable, you will find more answers. You will find more reasons and more evidence to say, oh yeah, okay, I'm not capable because your inner critic will come in and be like, do you remember that last time it happened? It'll give you information, but it is up to you to understand that your brain and your inner critic is designed to keep you safe. It is up to you to make a choice if we kind of carry on the theme of my TED Talk. In that moment, you have a decision to make. Do I stay safe or do I fucking fly? Right? So do I stay safe and exist and just get by and go through the motions? Because that's that's the safest thing I can possibly do, not take any risks, not jump at all. Stay inside, never go outside, never meet anybody. Um, just stay existing. Or do I discover of potentially taking this action? What if this is the action that I can take that will actually allow me to fly, to soar, to thrive? And in there, in there lies that decision that you can actually effectively make. Um, that being said, as a caveat to that then, our inner critic and our emotions, they are, it's information, Right. Information that we tend to, one, avoid, and then two, probably take on as information as fact without actually ever exploring that information that it's trying to give us. So to take a deeper dive into this, um, the analogy that I want to give, albeit a weird one, let's take my 19-month-old May. right? She is just formulating her words at the moment. Um, so at the moment she can't really communicate to the, to the uh, way that she wants to. So we don't really know what she needs in the moment. So her only way of communicating with me and with my wife, Paula is through crying. So if she's upset, if she's hurt, if she's hungry, she's a dirty nappy, whatever it is, she needs to cry. She needs to cry and make her voice heard so that we can help explore what she needs. Okay? So our jobs as parents is to do a couple of things. The first thing when she cries is to reassure her, to accept how she's feeling and to kind of like embrace it. The second thing we need to do is explore. So what just happened? So what happened to make you feel this way? Is she hurt? Like Is she tired? Is she hungry? Once we explore what happened, we can give her what she needs. And effectively, what does she do? She stops crying. Okay? Let's go that in another way. Say we don't do all those things when she cries. In order for me to get her needs met, she actually needs to cry louder and harder until we actually answer her. So the more that we try and avoid her in that space, the more that actually she needs to cry, the louder she gets. Our emotions work in the same way. So our emotions are information to say whether our needs have been met or not. The same with our inner critic. Our inner critic is trying to propel us to to meet our needs. Okay? So within that space then, and I'm taking a tangent, but I will come back because it's all intertwined. Um, In that space of trying to meet our emotional needs, right? We sit down with the emotion. A lot of us will say like good or bad emotions, positive or negative. And what will happen as a result of that is if we're hardwired for safety and we believe that our emotions, some emotions are bad or negative, we will naturally tend to avoid them the same way we try to avoid our inner critic. But if we avoid them, we're not meeting the need. And if we're not meeting the need, what will happen as a result of that then is that need needs to, that emotion needs to come up louder and stronger. So I always say like a lot of part of my journey was I felt anxious all of the time. And the statement that I use continually now is I experienced anxiety for the majority of my life because for the majority of my life, I tried not to experience anxiety. I tried to avoid it. I tried to not deal with it. I tried to not face it. Now, when it comes to my emotions and my inner critic, when my inner critic is loud, I I have to sit with it and give it space and be like, what are you trying to tell me? where am I not meeting my needs and where can I best better meet my needs? Um, And really in all of that to encompass that is like my inner critic gets loud when I'm not looking after myself. My inner critic gets loud when I'm not living in alignment with my values. My inner critic gets loud when I'm believing all my thoughts as facts and I'm not challenging them or I'm not exploring them. I'm seeing them as, yeah, you are not good enough. Whereas I am in control to make that decision where if my inner critic is loud, it needs certainty, certainty that I'm going to provide my needs and then certainty that I'm going to explore. So for me, it's about embracing the inner critic and utilizing it as like one of my greatest assets.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And one of the things you mentioned, in fact, there's a couple of things you mentioned when you're feeling that inner critic start to, um, when you start to feel that inner critic and it's starting to get, become more deeply rooted you mentioned a strategy you had which was um almost surrendering to, to whatever message is being shared um and, and then utilizing some of your own strategies to, to almost have an outlet as, as well and, and for you it sounds like journaling or, or writing or documenting those pieces um, what other tools uh, could people utilize to to help build an outlet for them because when i think about anxiety or if I think I've been in in stressful situations I think I've relied upon what the military uh, really taught me which is just absolute discipline, you know, discipline was always the, uh, the antidote to fear, the antidote to anxiety. Um, we're never really able to articulate what we mean when we say discipline, just do it. Um, and for some reason it works particularly well, but, um, how do you really define that? And again, what tools could, could, uh, people utilize, listen to this?
1: One of the, the greatest lessons I've learned, um, over the last year in particular, so because I became very focused on the mind, um, I actually like went all in on learning about the mind. And I, I fundamentally had this belief of the mind is the most powerful thing. And I still, I still absolutely have that belief with a caveat to, there is a massive mind body connection. So I want to answer your question in a roundabout way again is for me, when it comes to when my inner critic is loud, Um, and when I feel activated okay so activation to me is when I'm feeling like a big emotion so it could be anxiety it could be stress it could be anger it could be frustration whatever it is for you quote-unquote all those bad emotions right but my inner critic being loud is a sign that I'm dysregulated so let me explain when it comes to a mind-body connection we actually store a lot of our memory in our body as well and what happens as a result of that is as we go through our everyday lives, we're going to be like almost like reactivated. A lot of people use the word triggered. Um, I see it as an activation. It's kind of like this rising of like high emotion, like intense emotion. Um, so in that moment, what will happen is I want you to like all listeners to take down this statement is story follows state. Okay. So the story that's happening in my mind is followed by and caused by the state in which my nervous system is in. So I like to see the states in as like a traffic light system. So essentially there's three different states, right? We have, I'm going to take the colors rather than give you the the terminology, right? Green is when we're in like a really calm state. So just for the sake of this podcast to take value from it, right? Just for a sec. If you need to pause this podcast as you're listening to it, like do so. And just like follow me with this for a sec, just take pen to paper for a sec when you're feeling calm and when you're feeling connected so i.e green the green state right calm and connected and safe what is the story that happens in your mind around possibility around your capabilities around what you can do or just around what's the story that you have for yourself so for me when i'm in green when i'm in a calm connected space like anything is fucking possible My inner critic isn't loud. It's like, yeah, I can absolutely do that. Or yes, I can do this. Or yeah, 100%, let's go. Right? So the possibility story and the story that follows that state is, for me, it's a story of possibility. It's a story of I can do it and no problem at all. Next, we go into orange or amber. And what happens as a result of that is, that is our fight or flight state. Okay? So we are now in what's called activation. Okay, anything can cause this. Um, And the objective of this state is to either move us towards something and give us the the chemicals that we need within our mind and body to to produce that. Or it moves us away and give us the chemicals that we need to kind of get out of that situation. When I look at that is the story actually is very much still an I can story in that state. But there's a difference. If you find yourself saying, okay, I know I need to do this, but I need to—I ha- needed to have it done yesterday. There's a sense of urgency. There's a, there's a frantic kind of nature around what you feel like you need to do. So if I ever find myself in a situation where I'm like, oh, I need to do this, I should do this, this should have happened yesterday, and I'm putting all this pressure and expectation on myself, I'm in orange. I'm activated. In some senses, a little bit of activation is what we need sometimes to get going. OK, but actually too much activation brings us into red. And here is where most of us get caught. If you go back to the story follows state, when we're in red, the story changes dramatically. Right. We go from the threshold of I can, even though it's backed by a bit of urgency and like kind of impatience and um, need. Right. Um, we cross the threshold into we have not allowed ourselves to deactivate and we're still continuing on the activation now I'm in red. And red is our shutdown, immobilize, demobilize ourselves, keep ourselves like chronically safe, as safe as we possibly can. So it's making ourselves safe, super small, and stay super still. The story in that becomes a very finite story. It becomes a, a, a very much a story of I can't. Things will always be like this. It's never going to change. And if you reflect back to my journey, right? What I kind of said at the start, remember like at like In that moment, where I was just about to like, like shut down completely, um, and choose to do that, was very much a story of I can't. Things will always be like this, and nothing's ever going to change. My inner critic was so loud and so vicious, and really, what that was the reality of is that I wasn't giving myself what I needed to come back to all of this. Right? So, the reason I use this as a traffic light system is: am I in green? Am I in amber? Am I in red? or do you drive Luke? Very random question. Okay. Right. You might be like me. You might not be like me. And listeners, if you drive, you might be like me. You might not be like me. Usually before I had me, um, my, when I saw an amber light, what I would typically do is drop a gear, put the foot down and the mission was to avoid the red, right. And go as fast as possible. So I didn't have to deal with the red. I didn't have to sit and wait. Right. Um, We tend to have that same approach to ourselves. So when we're feeling that particular way, the mindset that we have is to avoid it, right? Avoiding emotions, avoiding our thoughts, avoiding like what our inner critic is trying, possibly trying to tell us. We're trying to avoid all that stuff because that's really hard stuff. Effectively what that is, is the same as dropping a gear, pushing hard as we possibly can, doing as much as we possibly can. And a lot of that is soaked in need, the need to avoid what is actually happening. Okay. But that puts us more in red. And we get to a point where it's like, I can't do this anymore. It becomes a chronic red. And what I worked through with myself, that was the biggest breakthrough for me because I was like, hold on a second. So you're trying to tell me that the thoughts that I was having was directly linked and related to the state in which my nervous system was in. So I need to treat my body with um, a bit more respect, a bit more care, give myself what I need. So there's a system now that I have, traffic light system. When I'm in red, it is a, a very much a sign. If I see my inner critic get really loud, I see a, it is as a sign of, I'm not giving myself what I need. How can I pull back a little bit and, and, and zoom out because I'm probably too focused on something. How can I zoom out a bit? reprioritize make sure that I can allow some space to like am I exercising am I getting outside um if I wanted to I could equally equally um, easily spend about 12 hours in this office a day right that's not me meeting my needs that's me trying to maybe am I trying to work through an emotion by overworking <laughs> right so the more that I try to do that the more that actually my work becomes ineffective and I'm not actually I'm not going as fast as I'd like to be in my work. Why is that? Well, usually it's because I'm not doing it from cam connected, my green space. Okay. Well, how do I get to that then? Okay. For me, it's in, when I'm in red, it's deep rest. I need to pull right back. And it's, I need to give myself the space, give myself what I need, go back to basics, get back to my journaling, get back to my uh, walks, get back to my exercise, get back to um, being really intentional about my thoughts, like choosing my thoughts. That is a sign for that. Usually what happens as a result of that is I start to deactivate and then I kind of come back into, I either go straight back into green or it's a gradual kind of downslope into deactivation of, then I kind of like, okay, I can do this. Come back into the I can. There might be, it might be backed by urgency, i.e. I'm still in the orange. Therefore, I it's a sign that I keep needing to deactivate. So I have a little like system for it all in terms of like, what keeps me in green? This is the very first thing. So if I like ask all the listeners now, what keeps you in green? Because we've explore, explored what our like possibility, what our narrative is like when we're in green. So what keeps us there? How can we maintain that? What can we do like think of a time where you feel connected where you feel grounded where you feel safe where you feel um just clear what are you doing what like what is it that you have done in the lead up to that that allowed you to feel like that that is valuable information create more of that um but also have a system for we can't avoid the orange and red so it's about having a system for okay i'm in red now what do i need here what can i give myself here to come back into green and the same thing for red and it's it's just about we we're still questioning ourselves but now with that awareness of actually this isn't my inner critic this is a sign that i'm i'm dysregulated how can i come back into regulation and that for me was an absolute game changer
0: i think that's i think that's true with stella and and as you were articulating that um and I was really kind of doing my own self-discovery, as, 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 as you share in this. Um, I think it's pretty obvious I, I live in amber, uh, bordering on red, most of the time. And 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 my fears, as well, for for folks listening to this, is one, there's understanding it and, and surrendering to it, which I think you did such a eloquent job of. Um, secondly, what activities or what framework are are listeners utilizing in order to think they're trying to get out of red and amber is that where they're reaching for the dopamine wins and and, you know uh, increasing the poor habits to try and make them feel good um albeit temporarily so um yeah that was that was really meaningful and um i think color coding is such a an easy way to really have it resonate and you know the analogy for the traffic lights also resonates with, with how one feels because I, I i'm absolutely there um also the overworking um i'm mm. really trying to just fill another gap um rather mm. than a desire or a need to actually get specific things done because i failed to plan or prepare accordingly so all that truly resonated um mm. one thing i i did want to uh, touch upon is you got to the point in your TEDx, and, and you, you know, mm-hmm. you, you shared on three occasions. There was a really mm-hmm. significant time for you. Um, you mentioned on the third, I think, is when you had this as you as you shared this eureka moment. This kind mm-hmm. of come in, if you like. We um, were we ever able to really understand and define what was at play there that that had this big shift.
1: Um. I think for me, when I break it down to something very simple rather than it been needing to be something profound, it was the tone in which I asked the question. So to, to give the context to that is like when I woke up first initially, (laughs) excuse me, it was very much, why do I have to be here? It was very much a like quote unquote, sorry, for fuck's sake. Like, like, I have to go through this again. Right. And then a couple of seconds later, I asked myself, actually, why do I have to be here? So I was still questioning myself, but it opened up a door of like, okay, there's something bigger at play here. <laughs> like I'm not a cat with nine lives. I said that in my TED talk. Eventually this was going to kill me. Um, but somehow in three attempts, I managed to survive. Why? And I just started getting really curious about that question. And that was the, to me, it was how I asked the question, the tone in which I asked uh, asked that question in. And that signifies a lot of things because I think a lot of us try not to overthink. A lot of us experience, like I was self-doubt. A lot of us experience overthinking. A lot of ex- experience like questioning ourselves a lot. Some of the things that I kind of see show up in my client work and even in my own life. I don't think we should ever try and stop questioning ourselves. My, my mission is to help people question themselves in a way that actually serves them. Just like that moment for me, was like the tone in which I asked that question, same question, different tone. Um, I got a whole set of different answers, entirely set of different answers. Like, why are you here? Why don't you be curious about that? And it was just, it just opened up my mind to this part of my mind that maybe I couldn't have accessed before. Um, I can't really explain it other than that in terms of like, it was the tone and it was maybe backed up by then curiosity of oh, just something allowed me to survive. Um, why not explore why?
0: And, and do, you, do you put it down to anything spiritual? Are you religious? Do you connect anything there or do you look at uh, things um, through a, a more analytical approach?
1: I think for me, I, I would never classify myself as like religious, but I would definitely be very spiritual. Um, and what I mean by that is like you would have seen behind me. It actually fell down today, funnily enough, <laughs> over there, over here. Um, uh, is for me, it's birds. So I'm going to sound slightly wacky here and people are like, Oh, I, I was with you up until you started speaking about it. Um, for me, uh, okay. <laughs> A lot of what I've discovered about myself is a lot of my life, I would have said I was depressed and I would have been um, diagnosed with depression and I would have been diagnosed with anxiety. It took me to be the age of 24, maybe 25 before somebody ever asked me about my family, about my life um that didn't just take what was actually happening in terms of like oh it's just another 20 year old who's broken up with her boyfriend or girlfriend or is just struggling to kind of like see things not one single person asked me about my family so what I've discovered is a lot of what I would have deemed as depression before is actually (laughs) grief for me so in that question to answer that is what I've learned about my life is that people can very quickly put labels on things whether it's labels around religion labels around how you feel labels around like whether you have depression or not if we start asking deeper questions we get deeper answers and for me it was like I've discovered that a lot of my depression quote-unquote depression was actually grief unresolved unrecognized grief which lends me into actually answering the question that you asked um for me it was I'm very spiritual because what I've learned about my grief and kind of learning about that process is that I never had a connection to my dad. So I'm going to go really deep here for a sec. Um, Because I never had a connection to my dad and because before I ever knew about my dad, so I'm going to, I was 19 when I found out how my dad died. So if you think back to that time, um, like emotions were never spoke about, Um, suicide was a very big taboo subject. So my mother played a huge part in trying to protect us from that entire thing. But I guess from that age of zero to 19 or one to 19, I was like left questioning a lot. Um, didn't really know the answers. Didn't really want to ask the question. I kind of got the vibe that like I couldn't.
0: So What was, what was the narrow take up until being th- There was being none. 19?
1: Like honestly, oh. there was none. Like there was just no conversation. So when, uh, when I found out it was just true, like I was told that I was the reason why my father killed himself. And... For the very first time in my life, I was like, oh shit, I know the reason. (laughs) I didn't actually think of the fact that someone had just told me that I was the reason. I was actually thinking about like, shit, is that actually the reason? Someone has just told me the truth. And that's where all of that unfolded. So for me, it was all of my grief kind of started to be resolved and recognized when I started to speak about like the deeper kind of things. And what I was getting to was very much... A lot of my life, I would have felt deeply connected unconsciously here to my dad because he had depression and I had depression because I never knew anything about him. And I never knew, um, I've actually never shared this before, um, because I never knew anything about him. And the only thing that I knew is that he died by suicide. I was like, Oh, we we actually are alike. We can, we can connect here. And I found it very hard to let my sadness and my depression go because I was like, does that mean I'm letting my relationship with him go? It's the only thing that we have in common. It's the only thing that I know that we can connect on. Call it fucking weird. I don't know. But that's a realization that I came that like slapped me in the face one day. And for me, looking at that, to answer your question, grief allowed me to become a really spiritual person because I believe that he is still with me. He is still guiding me. And I needed to discover what it was like to, to connect with him on a deeper level. Um, and I think grief is that just because the person is gone, the connection is still there. So for me, um, the, the, how I connect with him is true birds, (laughs) which they were there. Um, so if I'm ever like stuck on something, if I'm ever feeling like, like, like big emotions, or if I'm ever just having like one of those days, I will, ask a question to him and then birds will pass like call a coincidence. I don't know when Paula and I were going through IVF, um, we were going to go down to, I think it was the, the day before we were due to go down to like start a treatment. Um, there was a pigeon, no joke, a pigeon on top of the car in front of me while I was at traffic lights. And where we live, you cross the bridge to get into the next town to get out of the town, if that makes sense. And the pigeon just stayed on the car for the entire way. So instantaneously, I pulled over, looked, it was like, what is the spiritual meaning of pigeons? And it was all about fertility. And the following morning going down, um, we had to travel down to Cork, which is about like an hour and a half drive. It was sunrise. So the birds were just everywhere. I just turned to her and said everything is going to be fine this is the time it's going to work and I believe in that so for me it's spirituality is very much my connection to yes my dad but connection to when we can lean into it and embrace it it, it's it can be our guide um and we can learn to like tap into that in in a massively profound way
0: Beautiful and and the response, Kira. What what's what's the response been like since the airing of the TEDx talk? Um, have you connected with a lot of people? Have, have people saw, almost saw this in in what you've been sharing?
1: Um, yes, um, I've had lots of conversations. Um, I think, to me, it hasn't been new because I've been sharing my story for such a long time. Um, I guess it was, like, on a, maybe a greater scale, a more gotcha. warm, worldwide scale. So there's people, lots of people that sent me emails from, like, uh, America. There was some from, like, uh, I can't even remember now, but there was, like, lots of different countries are like, oh, that's how big it is now. <laughs> um, so on that note, but then for me, it's allowed me to allowed me to use my story to impact as many as I can so but I tried to do that with my own social media as well um on a regular basis um and really put across the learnings that I've learned and the work that I've I've done and continue to do and will continue to share and hopefully impact that one person as much as I can
0: well, there's no doubt you're going to be impacting many people as you've impacted me, um, certainly listening throughout this today. And um, bring us forward to today. Um, I know life is incredibly busy for you, um, tracking you on social media uh, and with the with the performance coaching you do. Do you want to kind of give us the premise and, and, and what the vision is for that going into 2024?
1: Yeah, so I um, started coaching about three years ago, um, kind of fell into it by accident through COVID. So I was a wedding photographer by trade beforehand. Then COVID came and took that career from underneath me for a year or so because weddings couldn't happen, as we know. And I was faced with like adversity in terms of like what do I do now? And then realize that, okay, you've been looking at this coaching for such a long time. Why not reach out to them and see if they have something online available while you have the time. And as it happens, they were just about to create an online version of what they normally did in person. So that got the ball rolling. I started off with what I called my company was the mindset coach, helping people with their mindset. Um, just following kind of the flow of where I've been taken and letting kind of like opportunities guide me and situations guide me and the people who come into my life guide me. I've naturally been driven towards like helping people, um, now with their mental performance, right? So it's about learning how to enhance their, their mind to take them to the next level, whatever that level looks like for them. So I think a lot of people struggle with, Clarity, that is the biggest roadblock for anybody. Clarity, like what do I do next? Where do I go? How can I make sure that like what I'm about to do is going to give me the life that I want? Or it might be I'm living the life that I thought I wanted and realized it's actually not. How can I get clarity on that? So a lot of that is we work through giving them the clarity, but then we back it up by the science and the tools that we can give to best enhance their mental performance to to really start to utilize the assets that they have, both mind and body. Helping people understand how their mind works, helping people understand how their nervous system and mind are connected and how they can best plan to create their future. So I work with a lot of high performers now, helping them create the life they want, create the success that they want, while also giving to themselves. Because a lot of, like when you take high performance, it's a lot of pushing and doing. And I want to be part of the change in that narrative. So for me, it was actually, it isn't all about hustling, right? I I want it to be about healthy hustling, about doing the work, the worthy work and doing the work in the premise of doing the work on yourself first. So you can fully thrive mentally, emotionally, physically. And as a result of that, then we build your next level of what your actual work looks like and making sure you can build, um, your business from a place of fullness rather than a place of empty and need. Um, So alignment comes into play there. So when I started Holistic High Performance, it was to change the game of high performance. And I think the old traditional mindsets around high performance is pushing as hard as you possibly can, going as far as you possibly can for as long as you possibly can. And then when you feel like stopping, you need to push again even more. And I think if I'm being bold enough to say that a lot of that narrative is what keeps people thinking that they're actually not high performers like you are a high performer whoever is listening to this I want you to know that you are a high performer it is open to everybody and a lot of high performance in the traditional sense is based around physical performance like running the like the bigger marathons the ultra marathons all these like big quests that people tend to go on and that's what we would deem like in our mindset around high performance what if it's about your mental performance What if you can unlock layers of your mind and clear layers of your trauma that allow you to be more free and feel more free and perform in whatever area, whether that's to be a better mom, a better dad, um, whether it's to propel in your career, whether it's to do whatever that you want in whatever space that you want. And really, in essence, it's to change the game in terms of you don't have to push all of the time as hard as you possibly can to get the results that you want. My firm belief is that you can achieve more by doing less. And that is the like embodiment of performance to me. It's like, how can you effectively do what you want to do without burning yourself out?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do, do you find... The, the performance side is more of a byproduct of being more mindful, being more present and, and living more in that green space. If, if we use that traffic light system, 100%. then allows high performance to really start to flourish or, or do you focus initially on, on the performance?
1: Um, one of my clients um, and who was now part of the team, Chris, he said it to me last night, he's like, a lot of people are performing. Not a lot of people are actually high performing a lot of people can be performing for the sake of being busy. So everything that we spoke about today is like, there is a massive amount of people that are being productive and being busy, but it's masking something else. It's trying to avoid something else. So if we can actually go to the root of all of that and figure out, okay, why do you feel like you need to work seven days a week for however many um, hours a day? What is the need there? We unpack the need we heal the need at the root level rather than the symptom-based. And as a result of that, then their performance goes up because they're like, oh, I could actually do the work that I was taking to do over seven days or over how many hours I can do now in two days. Like that's performance. That's high performance. That's you getting out of your own way and actually doing things because you want to rather than because you need to. And it goes back to that traffic light system again. It's like if we're doing things in orange and red, it's backed by need. So how can we help you create the life that you want by helping you stay in green as much as we possibly can? And then you have the support in the structure that when you are in orange and red, you have your coach to fall back on to help you in that space. Um, so in essence, in a weird way, a lot of the work that we do isn't necessarily based around um performance in the traditional sense. It's about helping you understand yourself at such a root level so that you can define what performance looks like for you. You can create your own blueprint for yourself. Because I think a lot of the times in whatever area we're in and whatever we're trying to achieve, we'll try and follow someone else's blueprint. And for me, it's like, how can we help you create yours for what success looks like to you, for what productivity looks like to you, for what hustle looks like to you, for... What how it fits into your life. So like, if I try and follow someone else's blueprint who doesn't have kids, who doesn't have X, Y, and Z, whatever it is, I'm like, but that doesn't work for me. (laughs) And instead of second guessing myself on why I'm not good enough or why it's not working for me, it must be my fault. Maybe it's just because you're trying to fit a round peg into a square hole with yourself and what it would be like to actually create your own blueprint. So for me, it's the the work that we do is about that and helping them define what performance looks like to them.
0: Understood. And are you working with corporations, sports teams? You work with individuals. Can individuals reach out to to, Yeah, so
1: um, a lot of our uh, work at the moment is one-to-one based. Um, I've just taken on Chris. He is the newest member of Holistic High Performance. Holistic to me as a word is the whole human. So I realised my capabilities is mental performance, and realised that my capabilities isn't physical performance, which is where he's going to come in and cover all of that. So the the the, the dominant part of the work that we do now is is one to one coaching, um, with the group element. So what I mean by that is we'll meet as a group and as a collective, um, either on Zoom or in person, but the 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 worthy work the work that actually will help you is the the done with you work it's the work that will help you unpack so that's the the one-to-one calls um in that situation then what it looks like is i will hopefully in time once <laughs> find my feet with everything i'm kind of fairly new in this in terms of like three months as holistic high performance um the plan is to get into corporates the plan is to just change the game um change the industry in whatever way I possibly can and um, make high performance available to absolutely everybody.
0: Love it. And, and I think one of the things, we have many things um, which drive the credibility, but you've got the storytelling piece, uh, which compounded with the model that Alt works, backed by science and, and logic, um, I can see some incredible things happening. Um, and outside of that, um, any other endeavours? Uh, could we envisage a book at some point from, from here? Uh, I certainly <laughs> want to read or listen to that. What else is in your mind? Uh,
1: do you know that book that you just mentioned there, that's been on the cards for quite some time. So yes, uh, I just don't know when and I don't know how, but I will make it happen. It's it's on, it's, it's yes, definitely at the forefront of my mind a lot. Um, podcast is coming out very soon. Um, then as a result of that, a um, lot more things like I really want to focus on in-person stuff because I think after COVID, we've, we've lost a lot of that. So a lot of the work that I want to do is create more events that are in person. So we have a retreat coming up in Iceland, um, uh, in March and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're more than welcome. So every couple of months we're going to do something like that. And really I suppose the essence of holistic eye performance, the values that we stand for is like integrity, exploration, and purpose. So, I suppose, helping you live and lead with integrity, helping you explore the depths of who you are so you can understand yourself more. And as a result of that, living and leading with more purpose and clarity. Um, and the Iceland trip is about exploration. So each trip will have a, a theme, essentially. Um, so that's the plan. And then like, for me personally, um, I'm... Well, my wife is expecting baby number two. So come May, I'd be very, very busy. <laughs> so what that look like when I'm trying to create a business and also a uh, mother now to two, two beautiful children. I, uh- Let's have another podcast then. (laughs) Um, So that's the next adventure, uh, personally. And I suppose for now, it's like, I'm going to focus on what I can in terms of like professionally, because I know there'll be some downtime when all that happens. So for me, it's about personally creating balance in as best I possibly can um, to give me the life that I want and um, the life that my family deserve as well.
0: Fantastic. And where can we find more of you? You on social media, where can I get all
1: um, So I am at Holistic High Performance Academy on all things Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. And that's probably it at the moment. Holistic High Performance Academy website will be available very soon. So um, across the board, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm probably most active on Instagram. Um, soon to be hopefully on LinkedIn and all the rest. But yeah, for now it's Instagram.
0: Truly amazing. Uh, Thank you so much, Kira. It's been an absolute honor to have uh, you on the show and, and share this session together. Thank you so much.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me.